Hey everyone, welcome back to the Seek Outside podcast. This is Dennis, and before we get started, I'd just like to ask that if you've been enjoying our shows, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Today, Kevin and I are joined by Joel Webster, the Senior Director of Western Programs at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, or TRCP. We get into the MAP Land Act, what that means, some migration corridor talk, and also turkey hunts. So please enjoy our conversation with Joel Webster. Uh, hey, Joel Webster from TRCP. How's it going, man? And welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. We're also joined by Kevin today. Um, and my name is Dennis. So how's it going, man? Great, Dennis and Kevin. How are you two? Doing well. Are we all seeing the work from home blues yet or not? I'm hanging in there. There's three of us in the house. I feel like I'm on the phone a lot and my seven-year-old is not in school. So trying to continue to stay productive at work while also trying to help her learn and um, prevent any of us from going crazy. But things are fine. You know, I've been out getting outside a little bit, doing some turkey hunting. So that helps me maintain my sanity. I saw that you were uh, you were successful in your turkey hunting, right? Yeah, I've got a Tom. Uh, so far, I had an awesome hunt about a week ago. Uh, a colleague and I went out for a half a day and um, ended up getting two nice Toms, and it was just some of the best turkey I can remember because you know they they came in all puffed up, and it was just like the great sort of. You know, the turkey sort of stuff you dream about where the bird comes in in full strut and, and you end up shooting them at like 10 yards. And we got two birds that way. And in a matter of like 30 minutes and two different setups, um, yeah. just both nice birds. And so I'm really excited about that. It was su- super, um, I don't know. It was just a fulfilling hunt that the kind you dream about. Yeah. Were you able to, did you, uh, I guess we're both the toms together. And then you were able to shoot one and then chase the other one down again and, and get them to come back. No, they were two. Um, they were separate. The first one was actually with two hands and we spotted him um, from like almost 300 yards away and, and snuck into like 70 yards. And then I, um, I gobbled at him and pulled out my fan and, and a belly called in a little bit and um, tilted the, the turkey fan at him and he came in to kick my butt. Um, he just charged in on me, like in full strut, just coming and spurn me. I was worried he was going to run me over. I shot him before he got any closer because I was worried about getting attacked by him. And then, um, you know, I got him tagged and we took a couple photos and decided to walk the perimeter of this little national forest parcel that's surrounded by a few ranches and uh, um, started walking around the, the perimeter of it and then just immediately – um, heard a couple gobbles like 300 yards off and stepped up and uh, we had those birds came in um, like on a string and um, two tom right to each other like, the whole way and my, my hunting partner shot them at like 10 yards and they were both right next to each other just going gangbusters because it was it was just perfect um, and the bird I killed is just huge in the body like I I've got it now where I've sort of got a system where I can break them down and, uh, and separate 
um, the parts in, you know, vacuum sealed bags where I can get like four meals out of them. And the, the breasts on the, on the turkey, each lobe just filleted off the breastbone. So just the meat was two pounds, nine ounces for each side. So that's a pretty good bird. Huh. Um, from, in my opinion, based on most, I, I usually weigh the breast just cause I think about meal size and I was, I was impressed. So I was, I was pretty happy to have them. Yeah. That was pretty nice. Yeah. So you guys are getting out. I have not been getting out near as much as I would like. Um, our weather has been relatively disgusting and we've also been doing some home construction projects and really kind of focus on, and also kind of focusing on navigating these COVID-19 waters, right. As a business. So yeah, that kind of changes how we operate and stuff. Right. So one of the things like turkeys, you're just talking about them, like, conservation success story right super conservation success story how is and you're involved highly in conservation how is COVID-19 changing your day-to-day stuff and how is it changing public lands and the things that you normally do yeah that's a great question I mean I think sort of break this up into a a few different things Um, first let's just talk about you know, people in the field. And one of the things that we're to do is encourage, um, you know, people to recreate responsibly outside. And because right now, a lot of our public lands are open for hunting. All states, you know, continue to keep um, mm-hmm. public lands open. And and we want to make sure that it stays that way. So folks continue to have those opportunities. And so we're really encouraging people right now to, you know, stay local, not travel too far but also to make sure that they're practicing um, social distancing when they're outdoors, just to try and make sure that our public lands continue to be open and people can continue to go outside and hunt and fish. In terms of uh, the conservation work itself, I think there's a couple different ways of looking at it. I mean, first there's sort of administrative policy. So we work a lot on public lands management, you know, Bureau of Land Management, they administer 245 million acres of public land. The Forest Service you know, oversees 193 million acres, and um, a lot of the things we work on are um, processes that the agencies are engaged in to determine how those lands should be managed and, and implementing that management. Um, and really, a, a lot of that stuff continues to move forward. Um, the Bureau of Land Management, for example, is doing a lot of land use plans in places like Montana and Colorado and Idaho. Um, and, you know, for places that are really important, like the Missouri breaks in Montana or the, the Bennett Hills in Idaho. And, and those processes are really moving forward. Uh, I think a lot of the BLM staff are working remotely, but um, they're continuing to, I think, uh, charge ahead to, to get that stuff, you know, wrapped up. Um, when you look at Congress, though, um, you know, things have really changed there. Uh, you know, there's been these series of stimulus packages and, uh, that have really just sucked all of the air for everything else. Um, you know, Congress is not doing any sort of hearings on bills, like things that we might be interested in for, you know, sort of public land bills, as special places that they're looking to conserve or their other packages. They're just not, you know, regular order is not a thing right now. It's really about these stimulus packages. And so all of our engagement um, with congressional members is really focused about you know, what are the things that we work on um, that could help stimulate the economy and do good things? And uh, and a couple of those um, sort of items that have been talked about a lot are, are like the Land and Water Conservation Fund 
and also the um, restore our parks provisions. And so there were some bills that were in play right before the whole COVID-19 thing that really ripped up um, tied to the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And so just a real quick background on that. It, uh, it's a program that uses receipts from offshore and gas development and, and, and those dollars are directed towards outdoor recreation, both at the state and federal level. Um, there was broad bipartisan agreement to move something before the whole COVID-19 pandemic really got ramped up. And then also with that is a provision to uh, address the maintenance backlog needs on our federal public lands, including Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, National Forests, BLM lands, and uh, also Indian education. And um, those packages were pretty much teed up. And so we're hopeful that those could move as part of a, a stimulus package. There's also um, some real interest in moving an infrastructure bill that could include money for wildlife crossings for big game. Um, so we do highway work. You know, the summertime is when the, a lot of the highway work's done. Um, as you guys have probably seen, this place where they put in fencing um, or overpasses mm -hmm. for wildlife to cross the roads to reduce vehicle collisions, but also conserve the resource. And um, there's a real interest in, in moving that transportation bill because there's a lot of jobs that could be created through that. And uh, there's some good stuff that could be done for wildlife um, in that if there's some money in there to help, you know, build wildlife crossings that enable, you know, big game like deer and elk to, to migrate from their summer ranges to winter ranges without getting hammered on highways. So is the LWCF, um, is, so it's, it's kind of on hold at this point, right, um, as far as getting voted on? Uh, it's possible that it could move in a later stimulus package, um, but I think it's yet to be seen what that might look like. I know people are actively working on that. So um, it has not been included in the ones that have passed already. In in I guess it, can you explain like why um, like if they were before COVID nineteen it would have just passed right? It seems like it had bipartisan like everybody was was psyched to get it through. It was probably going to go through maybe March April time frame, and and now you're saying that it might go through as like a stimulus. Would that mean that it's going to change at all? Like, are they going to put in different provisions, maybe give it more money or move that money around a little bit? No, it'd be more that it would, it's more about what vehicle it rides along with. And in Congress, like historically, they used to just pass a lot of legislation regularly. And anymore, that's just not really how Congress works. It seems like, there's the sort of few bills that move in more infrequently, but they're huge. They're massive pieces of legislation and, and, and everything's them, including the, you know, the kitchen sink, I guess, um, at once. And then they move that whole package at one time. And, and now the VCF was teed up um, to move as part of this great American outdoors act uh, just before you know, everything blew up with COVID-19 and, it's been sidelined as a result of just the need for Congress to move all these stimulus packages. But there is interest in moving, um, you know, a larger infrastructure package, a later stimulus, where it's going to include a lot of um, provisions that deal with, um, you know, construction and uh, and highways and 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 public lands and things like that. And so there's a chance that. Um, the Great American Outdoors Act could be included in that package. And so it'd be the same bill, but that's 
where it could ride along into passage. Uh, a lot of those conversations are still happening. So, you know, something that we're actively working on to try and see happen. But um, that's the idea right now is that that's a possibility. Got it. So do you have any idea when when that might happen or when there might be the passage of something for migration corridors and such? Because I know just from where I live, the 30 miles basically on the highway from my house to the nearest sizable town in March when meltout, it's it's just carnage from deers on, deer on the side of the road and stuff. Yeah, you, you know, I, I saw that... Uh... Uh, Mitch McConnell um, just said the other day that they're not going to move any stimulus packages until members um, can come back to D.C. And, and meet in person. And so I think um, this the sort of next round of stimulus um, has been delayed some. I'm not exactly sure on timing. That's a great question for our, our, our government relations folks who work on the Hill um, directly, but I know some of that's been delayed some and, 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 uh, hopefully not too long though. Is it, um, is it, are there other parts, uh, so LWCF, um, uh, you know, getting sidelined from the COVID-19, other, other things that were, were maybe going to happen that, you know, you, you know, for just, um, bad timing, I guess, you know, uh, aren't going to happen now um, or maybe get pushed off <laughs> for years. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that require, you know, kind of a hearing process and, um, and that, you know, are maybe non-essential when the economy is in um, a really, you know, tough position. There's some bills tied to outdoor recreation. Um, there's a bill that we're working on that was introduced really before uh, you know, COVID-19 kind of shut things down here called the Modernizing Access to Public Land Act um, that, you know, we'd love to get some hearings for that bill and, um, and see it move. But just because Congress isn't actively um, holding hearings right now, um, basically just waiting um, for regular order to or to be restored and for things to return to normal before we can um, start trying to move that bill forward again. And I, I know when we had talked, uh, I think when we talked at SHOT Show, when we sat down and chatted a little bit, um, usually these election years are times where the spring, you kind of move those things forward, right? Um, and kind of get get things through. People want to pass legislation because it's getting to be re-election and all of that. Yeah. So I mean, like the the Map Land Act, right? The that you were just talking about um, was that something that that could have potentially gone faster, and now will like take take some more time. Potentially, um, yeah. I mean, we felt pretty good about that bill. It uh, it was introduced. I think back in March and, um, you know, I partisan support in both the Senate and the house, um, with Martha McSally, um, and, uh, and Angus King, uh, sponsored on the, the Senate side and then, um, Fulcher from Idaho and uh, Kilmer from Washington on the house side. 
uh, you know, bipartisan bill. You know, we were hoping we could move that forward, you know, with some some hearings quickly. And just a sort of quick breakdown on the bill. Um, what it would do is, uh, I, I imagine you guys are, you know, use handheld GPS type, you know, applications to navigate public lands. So you can um, get in and around, you know, private lands while staying legal and staying on public lands. And so you can hunt spots that otherwise would be tough to navigate. And um, one of the things that we found um, working on some projects with Onyx, um, who makes you know, one of the leading uh, hand GPS locations is that you know, we did these projects identifying the total acreage of landlocked public lands across the West, found, you know, 15.8 million acres of state and federal lands are landlocked in the West. But uh, one of the things we found through that process is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of places where the agents hold easements across private land. And so they actually own an access right like a road right across private land. But most of those um, access rights are still held on paper file. They're not actually uploaded in the digital mapping systems. And so as a result, um, do the federal agency nor the public really know where those access rights exist with a lot of certainty. And so um, the Forest Service alone um, has 37,000 easements, of which only 5,000 have actually been uploaded in the digital form. And so there's a ton of um, you know, public access out there that I think could be and would be sort of made more sort of readily available to the public and the agency there to digitize that. And so this bill would direct the agencies to do that. Um, Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, BLM, Bureau of Reclamation, Park Service, um, also the Army Corps of Engineers. And uh, and so that would be one part of it, which would also help them um, prioritize the acquisition of access where it doesn't exist. Um, and so digi digitizing those those easements, um, that kind of, it adds the benefit that one, if, if something were to happen and those paper documents disappeared, i.e. a fire or, or something happened, um, we would have no idea where, when, or if, those things ever existed um, that those easements are typically paid for. Is that right? Like, like they have purchased that easement from a landowner or done, done something to, to get that easement. Um, That's right. Yeah. A lot of those easements are, you know, 50 years old. And um, back in the day, the forest service bought an access right across that land. It's recorded. Um, you know, it's 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 not a subjective document. These are things that there's actually an access right that's been purchased from the landowner, and uh, it's generally recorded, um, you know, at the county level. But then also it's in paper file at the um, at the agency. But the problem is, is you know, a lot of these are these paper files are held in file cabinets in like basements of like local district ranger stations, and generally like when you have a, a road segment that you know goes connects a public highway to like the national forest they might cross you know three or four different um landowners land right and so there's individual easement sites for each piece of private property and the only way to really confirm that is you've got to pull those paper files up and study each easement to um, confirm the access and really what the process is that they would do is they have a, a system where they upload these into um, 
their digital files where um, they study the easement and they upload the, the layers in. and so basically it would show as a, a road across or a trail across that private land and it'd identify whether or not it's open to the public or if it's an administrative easement. Well, and a lot of times the uh, landowners are crafty about keeping people off of the public land near them. I've seen numerous times where you'll be looking for something to access some public land for hunting or whatever, and they'll have signs that'll say something along the lines like private property and then in little like next 320 feet or something, right? And yeah. I, know, I know people. Yeah, and that people. Been... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I've even known some people that have intentionally done that, right? Just to try to, I guess, make the BLM or the forest land that is near their place pretty much just their forest land and not something that is open to the public. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an issue where, you know, you have a forest service road where somebody said is, is no trespassing. I think in these cases, there's really no um disputing whether or not these roads are in effect in fact you know open to the public it's recorded in law um it's not like a prescriptive easement there are places where um the public there's maybe a forest service trail or a road that crosses private land and the agency never secures easement. and in those cases it's really that prescriptive use that um is providing that uh, that access when what I mean by that is there's there's state laws that um, determine you know how prescriptive access can be defined which generally has to do with the sort of regular and continuous use over a certain period of time that could actually be used to secure an easement um, and in those cases it's a pretty contentious approach um, there's a lot of gray area there's and, and, and access is not guaranteed and and I think in those cases um, this bill would not address that and hopefully what it would do though is it would enable the agencies to know where they do have public access secured and so then they could work with landowners cooperatively um, to hopefully purchase easements in places where they currently don't hold them but um, the other issue too is county roads that this bill would not address and i know that you've got this going on the western slope where um there's roads that are historic county roads where the counties hold easements across private land and that's where the counties maintain those roads and uh, there's places where there's disputes over whether or not a road is in fact a county road and uh and and that is a whole nother can of worm that um bill would also not address but this does you know address one piece of it which it says what it would do is identify where access has been secured and we know that for a fact and so as a result of that, we could look to the places where access has not been secured, at least not in a, in a definite way. And, and people could focus their efforts on trying to open access in those places um, and hopefully in a, you know, as constructive of a manner as possible where there's, there's a lot of money available um, through the Land and Water Conservation Fund, for example, where 3% of that program must be used for access. And so those dollars could actually be used to pay landowners to acquire easements across their property um to make those to secure that access you know permanently across those those ranches and so um and there's a lot of you know i know that people like to um sort of pull out the the examples of 
of access conflicts and where you know landowners and and the public are fighting over access but there's also a lot of great stories where landowners support access and they're willing to provide that and i think that financial incentive um can help get them there hmm. oh yeah they're not all bad um so if this if this happens right and if the funding how long would it be before like my onyx map would tell me like oh you just can go across this little easement road here um would it be like a something to digitize and get it in the mapping that would be like six months three years any idea on that so after the bill would pass yes yeah i mean i think that once this is uploaded into the system, those app makers are pretty much ready to go. Um, assuming that the information is standardized by the agencies and, and, and put out there in a way that, you know, clearly delineates public access. I mean, one of the issues is that some easements are for administrative use and other ones are for public access. And so this bill would also require that, um, that the public access be delineated. And I think that's super important to make sure that it, it can be interpreted. One of the problems too, that the bill tries to address is that a lot of the agencies are not consistent in how they provide electronic information or how they create it. It's like, for the example, the BLM um, does it differently in every state, for example, like maybe road access is done everywhere. And so it, it it's really hard to use because none of, like they might actually be presenting it differently. They might be presenting it with different attributes. And so it's just a big giant mess. And, uh, and this bill would also require that the, the agencies standardize their data on a national level and that they work together um, to try and do it in such a way that, that they, they'd have, well, they still have their own um, electronic data sets that the, the data is fairly consistent from one agency to the next. And that just makes it a lot more usable and, and there's some other things that the bill would try and, and help clear up. And one of those is like the shooting restrictions in areas with, with hunting restrictions. Um, like for example, you ever go out and you know, on your public land and see a, you know, sort of a safety zone sign where it says no shooting behind the sign, but you can't really tell exactly where that safety zone starts and ends. Yeah, no, no shooting right. behind the sign. And you're like, well, like right behind it or like to the left, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and what this would do is require them to you know provide that information digitally too, and so you could just put your app like all right, the no shooting boundaries right here. I know I'm ten yards outside of it. I'm in the clear. Um, there's a place not far from me here in Missoula where uh, there's a ranger station, and it's a great looking spot for turkeys because it's got you know some private land nearby and um, you know with some agricultural fields, and so it's just a productive turkey spot. It's also good for whitetails, but there's some no shooting signs, but I just cannot tell for the life of me where it starts and stops. So I avoid it entirely. So I'm not breaking law, but, um, you know, if we, if I could go up there and just look at my app and be like, all right, here's the boundary. I know where I can hunt. And, and so that's another thing that the bill would, would try and clear up. And just a couple more real quick, or another one is, is roads and trails, making sure that the agencies, um, clearly specify what roads, are open to what types of vehicles and on what dates. And so that way, when you, you know, you're driving around on, you know, two tracks on public land and you come to a fork in the road, you can just pull up your app and be like, all right, I'm on my, in my truck, you know, is this road open or not? And a lot of the 
you know, management signs that the agencies have put up have been torn down or shot up to a point where you can't read them and or they just are non-existent and so i think people are out there just driving around not really knowing what the rules are and um so i think this would help a sort of cut down on illegal use so you don't have people sort of bombing around where they're not supposed to be and, and game out of the country but also it's great from a scouting perspective from home and that you can identify where you can go um so if you get a four-wheeler or a dirt bike or a bicycle or you want to hunt on horses that, you know, it's something that you can look from home and identify where those places are open to, to help um, provide, you know, increased opportunities. And then the final one being water and in places where you've got, you know, sort of federal restrictions on water, let's climb out and lay on national forest land and they've got, you know, restrictions on, on horsepower for a boat and you want to go out there and troll and fish. Uh, um, this would require that that information be uh, made available electronically too. So you don't have to, you're not confused about it. You don't have to go up there and read the boat launch sign. You actually can, you know, get that information easily from home. Oh, that would be awesome. Totally. Yeah. And those, it's something about those signs that seem to be like targets, right? For shotgun, shotgun <laughs> rounds. And it's almost like they should just put random targets up all over the place for everybody to shoot at. Uh, Maybe they should I like that. Target next to the sign. Yeah, target next to the, Please shoot here, right? Like, <laughs> shoot, here. shoot here, not there. Like yeah. put a target sign like 10 feet away. Like yeah. please shoot this sign instead so, so we can continue to read. <laughs> so, the, we can, so we can read sign. this one, yeah, and just please shoot that one. And make, it, make it like difficulty ratings too for them, right? This one's farther away, so it's harder, you know? You should, <laughs> Right, right. Maybe maybe make it look like a little turkey head or something if you really want to get to see how you're patterning. <laughs> um, so, go ahead. Uh, no, you're, you're good. No, go. Okay. Well, just, yeah, you got it. Okay, so you, you've been involved in conservation stuff for a really long time. Uh, well, maybe that, maybe that was stretching it there a little bit. Um, but how do the different organizations were, can you compare and contrast, you know, different conservation organizations and what their focus is and maybe a little bit of how they um, go about things? And if you want, you can totally throw other people under the bus. <laughs> I'll try not to do that. I mean, I think as you guys know and, and as your listeners know, uh, there's a lot of different organizations in the hunting and fishing space. You know, I will say that I think that they all um, fill a niche and, and they all do work because um, a lot of work out there that, that needs to be done. And even with the existing capacities, a lot of things that are not getting done. Um, there's just so much, only so many resources. Uh, just to talk, sort of start out with uh, the TRCP and, and how we're structured and what we do. Um, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership is a is really a partnership-based organization where we work um, with 60 national, regional organizations, uh, ranging from you know Trout Unlimited and, and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers to like the Mule Deer Foundation and, and Turkey Federation and and Boone and Crockett Club, and so it really runs um, you know the the sort of broad spectrum of the the hunting and fishing community, and we also include some of the wildlife organizations like the Wildlife Management Institute. Um, and uh, Wildlife Society, uh, American Fisheries Society, 
And then um, also some of the outdoor recreation-based groups like the Outdoor Roundtable, Outdoor Industry Association. But as an organization, we're very focused on policy um, and auditions, um, you know, are, are developed through what we have as this policy council. And so we work a lot with these 60 organizations to really develop our priorities, but also try and make sure that the, the entirety of the hunting and fishing community is really focused and, and unified in, in our asks. And, uh, and as a result, we're not getting in, you know, individually all the different groups and asking for different things. Because when we do that, we don't get anything because we're sending mixed signals to lawmakers and they only have so much bandwidth and time to think about things. And so the more we're all on the same page, um, the more effective we're going to be. So, so our real role is to try and bring those folks together. And then at the, uh, at the state level, you know, TTP has a lot of staff out west. We've got staff in eight western states. Um, again, at that level, our, our team is really focused on trying to bring together the, the groups in those states to um, try and have, you know, common ground and to form coalitions to, um, to address, you know, problems. And, and really, we focus on policy, and so it's things that decision makers are doing. So at the federal level, generally, is where we work. I'm trying to get members of Congress to all, you know, sort of do things that benefit the hunting community, um, you know, working with the federal land management agencies, so the Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service, to try and make sure that their actions and their management is beneficial to game and, and fisheries, and that it benefits access and sportsmen. We also work a lot with the state fish and wildlife agencies. Um, you look at you know other organizations like, especially let's go to the single species groups, um, you know the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or uh, the Mule Deer Foundation. You know a lot of their work is. Uh, you know, it's habitat focused. They do a lot of habitat projects or they fund habitat projects. I know the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation holds conservation easements and accesses and actually, you know, work with landowners to secure easements. They'll purchase land um, to help transfer it to the federal agencies. And so they're doing a whole bunch of work that we do. They do some policy work, but um, they have a, a smaller staff dedicated to that. They've got a much larger staff, you know, focused on these other aspects of their mission. Um, you look at, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers, they have some overlap with TRCP and, and the policy work, um, but their model is quite different in that they're focused around their chapter structure, which can be very localized. And, um, you know, they're answering and sort of held, you know, accountable to the chapters, while, while TRCP is very accountable to our partners. And we do have a, a membership, but it's a very different structure when you look at it. And so I think as a result of that, um, you know, the way we go about our work and, and the work that we do is different. I will say too that, you know, our organization, we have a ton of policy staff, like people who are really subject matter experts and are in the weeds with their, you know, their sleeves rolled up. And that's really where our money goes um, because we're not seeing chapters. We're not sort of spending, you know, a huge part of our budget on, on that, that chapter, um, structure. That's really where our resources go. And there's um, advantages and disadvantages to that model. Um, but I think that's really what we do because of what our niche is. What about, <clears throat> what about um, involving the recreation crowd more versus the hunting fishing crowd? The recreation crowd seems to, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they seem to trend more towards Sierra Club or maybe the Wilderness Society um, and not so much into the TRCP or obviously BHA or Mule Deer Foundation and things like that. 
And it seems like, I mean, there's been this comment for years, right, that hunters and fishermen are paying the bulk of conservation. And, you know, through through fees from Fitton Robertson and through hunting fishing licenses, and that the rec crowd isn't really that involved. Then you have like outdoor industry associations saying, well, we we don't need a tax because we make our stuff overseas and because we make our stuff overseas it's tariffed when it comes in and the government can do whatever they want with it um and then there's some people i've talked to um that seem to be more like well i don't really want the crowd at the table with me because they want something different um and then some people think well we all got to be in this together right i mean together we're or separate we're two small of niches to really make that much impact. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's a lot, Kevin. I know. I, know, um, I, uh, I mean, you're, you're right. The uh, hunting and fishing community pays into conservation in a way that um, most other people don't. We, we have um, Pittman Robertson on the hunting side and Dingle Johnson on the fishing side, which are excise tax taxes that um you purchase you know, gear or you know things like rifles and shotguns there's there's taxes that are applied to those purchases that that then fund all the good work happening across the nation um when it comes to fish and wildlife conservation um you know trcp has a, a really good relationship though with the um you know other forms of outdoor recreation in, in that community they're actually you know from what we've found to be very um, solutions focused. They're very pragmatic. They're smart. Um, you know, we work a lot with the outdoor recreation roundtable, which is more than just the uh, um, you know the human powered recs. It also includes some of the motorized folks, um, and we work with the outdoor industry association. But you know, they're I think really important players. Um, we work with some of the um, human powered organizations. You know, that are made up of the outdoor alliance on some issues, but I, I feel like there's a lot of overlap in, in conservation and, and some of the recreation type provisions dealing with things like permitting on, on public lands um, and, and trying to make those processes more streamlined. I feel like there's a lot of, of synergy with those groups. Yeah, we're not on the same page on everything, um, but but they're an important player. I think their uh, influence is, is rising and uh, I think it's important that we work with them, but we have a really good relationship with them and, and we value that. Um, you have uh, you have some of those people that kind of sit on the TRCP board, is that right? Um, my my former CEO at REI, I think Jerry, Jerry Stritsky's in there. Um, That's correct. The outdoor rec world and stuff. So yeah, I mean, Seems like you you guys have that influence right at home. We do, we do. We have a good relationship with them, and you know, we. I think that they appreciate our pragmatic approach to solving problems. We try and roll up our sleeves. Um, you know, a lot of problems are complex. I think the public likes to talk about things as being black and white, especially on social media. Um, you know, where there's a villain and a hero, and I think. For some issues that works great, like public land transfer, right? Trying to sell off public lands. It's easy to draw a line in the sand on that issue. Mm -hmm. um, for like clean water, it's easy to draw a line in the sand on that issue. But, you know, with some of these issues, um, like, you know, BLM 
planning and oil and gas development on, you know, BLM land or, re or even renewables development for that matter. Like those are complex issues and to get them right, you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and, and work with people, um, you know, to find um, compromises that, that do the, the right thing for fish and wildlife. Um, but, but also, you know, try and minimize conflict with other users, you know, as we can. And, and that, and that's something that we really try to do as an organization is really try and be um, solutions focused and trying to get to yes with people. And I think that the outdoor recreation crowd appreciates that about us because um, especially in today's world where, you know, there's so many haters, I guess, on, on social media, um, you know, we try and keep our head focused on the outcome and, and try not to get caught up in that. Um, and as a result, we're pretty successful because people gravitate towards us because they want that. And I think that's something that TRCP does really well. Awesome. Um, so if, if we can kind of segue into um, from kind of that map land act and, and those those people into kind of this migration corridor bit. Um, you know, I was w watching some stuff this morning on the New Mexico kind of migration corridors. There's obviously a lot of stuff coming out in Wyoming with their migration corridors. Um, is that is that something part of maybe um, kind of the stimulus package where we're going to start building some roads and doing some stuff that we could get some of those migration corridors in there? Yeah, so a lot of that migration work started in Wyoming. Um, you know, they, a while ago, began, and this really has to do with modern technologies, you know, tied to GPS units where, um, you know, they've affixed these collars to, to big game like deer and elk, and they're able to tell within, you know, 10 feet where they are in the landscape. And so they're able to track their movements with a, a level of precision that just wasn't um, possible back in the days of radio telemetry and and as a result they've started mapping out these big game migration cores um, where in places like Wyoming they found you know places where mule deer are, are traveling 150 miles from their summer range to their winter range and we as humans um, build obstructions to those movements whether it be an eight-foot tall fence um, or a highway uh, or uh, industrial development, you know, right on top of those, we could actually block those movements, which could then, you know, reduce um, big game abundance on the landscape, have a detrimental effect on, on hunting opportunity. I mean, also, it's just a bummer to have, you know, fewer, um, fewer animals on the landscape. And so the state of Wyoming really pioneered a lot of this, um, and, and, and a lot of excitement came from it. And then in 2018, the Department of the Interior under uh, former Secretary Ryan Zinke issued Secretarial Order 3362, which directed the Department of the Interior to prioritize big game migration on lands overseen by the agency, which includes the BLM. And, and as a result of that, there became some resources available. Um, some grants were given out that went to the bunch uh, to most of the Western states, I believe all the actually all 11 Western states um, to call our wildlife, but also to start doing projects in these uh, migration corridors to help enhance um, fish and wildlife habitat. But it's really uh, set off a, a chain reaction where all of a sudden all these states um, outside of Wyoming have really geared up um to map these corridors and to um, take steps to conserve them and so you're seeing places like colorado and new mexico and nevada and utah and montana 
in Idaho, you know, they're putting collars on a whole bunch of herds of deer and elk and pronghorn. Um, they're tracking their movements and they're looking at what they can be doing to help maintain, you know, these corridors, but also potentially enhance them in places where they've found that they've done things wrong in the past. Like I know in Wyoming, they'd, um, they realized like they'd put up eight foot tall fences to, um, I think it was to protect, um, some field like elk in the winter and they didn't want them in there eating their hay. And, but it, wildlife can't get through an eight, eight foot tall fence. And so like they're inadvertently, um, you know, create obstructions for those critters. And uh, it's not that, you know, there aren't places to do that. I mean, I think there are places where we do need to be keeping elk out of haystacks clearly, but you can move that right sort of out of the path of that corridor um, in a way that still accomplishes the same goal, but also make sure, make sure that those elk continue to move through there. And so that's an example of just some of the things we're figuring out. Um, but one of the things that we're working on right now is that all the science is brand new and you've got the BLM, like I said, managing 245 million acres in the West. Um, you've got you know, the forest service holding 193 million acres. And for the most part in those agencies, management plans, which are documents that direct how those lands are going to be managed. They do not even acknowledge that migration corridors even exist. And so when they're considering a development proposal, whether it be for oil and gas or for a new road um, or even for a habitat improvement project or a fencing project, like they're not even thinking about this issue. And so we're really working to make sure that that their management plans are updated to, um, you know, to consider and manage for the science that's coming out of the states um, and that the actions they take are as informed as possible to help. Um, not only sort of conserve and protect these corridors, but potentially even enhance them. So, um, you know, we have more wildlife on the landscape and, and more hunting opportunities. Have you have you noticed since, uh, you know, BLM, I won't pick on them necessarily, but uh, uh, all of these agencies now are working at home. Are they getting more done? Are they, are they more? <laughs> are, are they, like, I would imagine, I'd imagine productivity has probably declined. Um, because it's hard and, and i you know i, I think that anybody with young kids um at home knows that it's just a tricky time right now when you're trying to get your work done and you've got a five-year-old coming up and tugging on your shirt you also got to make sure that you know they're not just their brain's not just becoming mush and they're not you know watching amazon prime videos for eight hours a day right yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, it's easy it's easy to do that but and so i mean i think that I think that they're dealing with the same thing as everybody else, but I do know that they're continuing to move forward. Um, they want to get things done. I mean, it's, I know there's a lot of politics flying around on this right now, but you know, you've got the current administration There's an election coming up in November. Um, they've got things in underway that they want to see completed. And I think it works that way for any administration. Um, I don't think you can single out the Trump administration for doing this. Um, they've got things that they want to get done and they're going to work to see them get done. And so I think that they're keeping their eye on their goals and trying to accomplish them. And, and so things are probably disrupted to some extent um, as a result of this, but I think that they still want to get their work done. I don't know. Sure. Well, you could, you could put the kids in front of the TV, Amazon Prime, press tracks with Randy Newberg. You know, argue <laughs> that there's, there's a lot worse ways for them to spend their day than watching Uncle Randy. Uh-huh. That is true. I like Randy. 
Yeah, we're, I find uh, I really like watching his shows on um, YouTube though because you get the day by day. Um, and I find that that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time watching his stuff because it's it's great. You get all the little bits it's on the twenty minute version. Yeah, you're not you don't get the cartwheels. I don't think on Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> cartwheels. <laughs> Yeah, haven't you haven't How's seen that Wyoming hunt, I think. Yeah, you haven't seen Newberg's yeah. cartwheels? It's no, I have solid, not solid technique. You know? Uh, especially <laughs> in that cold weather, man. Makes me feel like I should start practicing them, you know? Yeah. Cartwheels. Yeah, we're we're fighting that uh that good fight around here too with the I have an almost two year old that's that runs the house now that we're all here together all day, right? Um, oh, I think two is about as hard as it gets. Yeah, she she dictates she dictates the work at home policies for sure. Yeah, well, they start like they're old enough to communicate, mobile, but they're entirely irrational still. <laughs> in in mobile to a fall right where she's she's climbing on top of stuff, and I'm like, really, really, they're you safety. made it up there today. They're safety inspectors. Yeah, exactly. Owen used Owen used to every time yeah. we had a home improvement project when he was when he was like two. We think, okay, we got this all cleaned up, and then he would go in the room that we just put a new floor or something in, and you'd see him about ten seconds later with a nail trying to stick it in the outlet, and you'd just be like, "Where did he find that?" Uh huh. Constant. Yep. Constant. Constant. Um. It's out. I know you'd mentioned earlier, not to sort of turn it around on you guys, that you know businesses change. I'd love to hear how are things going at Seek Outside with oh. the COVID nineteen. So we probably moved everyone home. We did move everyone home probably before, uh, or we moved the bulk of people home before um, everyone else before it was mandatory. Um, so yeah, Dennis is at home now, not in the office. Um, all customer support is we tried to get customers to email us versus call us because people may have a, a, a child at home um, as well. We moved the bulk of our sewers home. Um, it's changed a bit of the way we work. Um, we thought we're also selling some masks and some PPE gear for another company. Um, business though has been really strong and uh, I was just looking at it and I mean, Compared to the same segment of April last year, we're almost two X. You know, it's 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 been really strong. I don't know why. I have a feeling that one going outdoors and distancing is something that is useful. You know, that is an activity that people are like. Oh, okay, that's a good activity for right now. Um, another that we're made in USA, um, so I think that helps a bit. Um, also. You know, when this first happened, um, everyone was like, well, there's no food at the grocery store. But almost every hunter or fisherman was like, well, my freezers look pretty good right now. So I think that there's some people maybe thinking of getting back into that and gardening and homesteading a little bit more, taking a little bit more control. Um, yeah. Other than that, it's been good. I mean, Angie's done a fantastic job um, running it and making it happen um she really has um mm -hmm. you know we'll just kind of see and i mean i also know that some people that i've talked to seem to be like well i have a lot more money than i thought i did if they're still employed right if they're not in the restaurant yeah industry or one of those industries that has hit really hard they're like well i'm not going to dance class i'm not going out to eat for 
pizza after dance class. I'm not going here and going here. And I didn't, I didn't realize we had so much money left over if we just quit going places. So, you know, for us, we're doing pretty well at this moment. Um, I hope it continues that way. Um, knock on my bow. Um, we'll see. Yeah, it was, it was, it's pretty cool that we were able to, um, you know, we're able to pick up sewing machines and, and take them to, you know, our, our sewers houses and say, Hey, yeah, like you, you can keep working, you know, um, and, and keep, keep those people employed and keep producing stuff. Uh, it's super unique and, um, just an advantage of being, you know, a family owned company here in Grand Junction, Colorado, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's been it's good. Awesome. It is definitely different being at home, you know, Kevin and I do this a lot. We do, do a lot of talking over, over, over the interwebs, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been good. It's been real good. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Any, any other turkey stories you got? Uh, <laughs> well, I hope to get out and get another one. And, uh, you know, right now it's still, I guess, application season's winding down. I've been putting in for a couple states, hoping that I can actually hunt this fall if I do draw, but I'm kind of invested on some points. But I do wonder how much um, this whole thing affecting the number of applications in a lot of these states. Although my dad, um, he always puts in a Montana, and he did not draw elk this year, which is the first time. Or so. Really? It seems like maybe I'm not the only one thinking that now's a good time to apply. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I think Colorado was the one um, most situated right at kind of that, that peak time, right? Uh, beginning or end of March, beginning of April there. Um, so it, I think it'll be yeah. interesting to see kind of how that falls out um, when we get those results. Um, it will. I do think, a lot of people are putting in for Colorado right now, though, because your deer season dates have shifted later and people are cashing in. So I'm mm -hmm. curious how much more people are applying to, to burn their points this year in comparison to past years. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's some people that probably will sit on the fence and some people that think it's a time to get aggressive. You know, mm -hmm. like, wow, I agree. I'll go. I'll go for points. And some people are like, maybe I should stay home. So yeah. yeah, that, yeah I think it's probably both. Yeah. That, that part will be interesting. I guess if, um, what, what the fall hunting season looks like, you know, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it winds down. But if they're, if, if they do end up closing the non-residents and stuff, that could really hurt, you know, a state like Colorado that, that lets, um, that makes that non-resident opportunity so high. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those decisions about whether or not they close areas to non-residents are really going to be determined by people's behavior now. Um, and I know in Montana, um, the governor here just yesterday announced sort of phase one of trying to open things back up. Um, and so, you know, what's, how's that going to work in terms of number of cases and what that curve looks like? I think you know, especially as they start to open up some outdoor spaces, you know, what people's behavior are going to be like. And so um, it's really up to us, not just the hunting and fishing public, but it's up to us and, you know, the public as a whole to 
you know, try and open up in a responsible manner. And so that way, hopefully we can, you know, get some of these opportunities back, um, you know, as soon as possible and keep them. I agree. I agree. Totally. Mm -hmm. That's also, uh, it's also interesting thinking about, you know, Kevin, what you were pointing out, people, people feel very unprepared, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people. What is currently Uh, happening and, and especially with, that uh, meat in the freezer aspect of, of hunters. Uh, it, I wonder if we'll see, you know, say we say we open up uh, a huge spike in people uh, hunting this year. You know, recruitment that, is good. Mm-hmm. Recruitment is good. You know, it really is, and, and it might. I mean, you you look there. There have been meat processing plants that have closed down because of this. Um, there's also thoughts that potentially some of the ag stuff, the fruits, vegetables might have some problems as well. Um, we don't know. Um, people need to be responsible, um, and really try to take care of themselves and, um, trust. I, I hesitate to say this cause I know that it gets to be for whatever reason, it's contentious and scientists aren't always right, but they really need to try to trust the science people that are trying to do their best and use the best modeling, best advice they can give people. Yeah, absolutely. Glad I got elk in the freezer. That's for sure. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We have taken stock every day, right? I'm sifting through like, yeah. It's nice to be using it too, though. Like just being home. I think that's one of the upsides to all this. I mean, you talked about having more money, Kevin, and not, you know, going to dance class or, you know, um, dinner mm-hmm. a lot. I, I definitely have cut down on how frequently I'm eating out. I mean, obviously restaurants are closed here. I have got, I've gotten takeout like twice since mm-hmm. it started and every other meal I've made at home. Yep. And, uh, it's been awesome to, you know, be at home all day and like, you know, at lunchtime I can break out the crock pot and, you know, stuff something in it. Um, or I can braise something on the stovetop all day long. Like I made, uh, a turkey ragu the other night, you know, I cooked it for six hours on the bone, the, the thighs and the legs. And, uh, it turned out awesome, but that's the kind of thing when I'm at the office that, you know, I, I can't do that except for on the weekends. And so it's been really fun to be able to you know put together these meals that require half the day to cook, but they don't, it's not like you're preparing them the whole time. It's that it, the cooking time is really long. They, they, they they fly, right? You have, you yeah. have a Traeger, right? Do you have a Traeger? I don't. I don't. Man, I'm going to give you the advertisement for the Traeger. You know, this, <laughs> this, this advertisement is not paid for. Um, Traeger is like kind of the coolest thing because you can control it through your phone app. So literally, I can stick something on and put it at a relatively low temperature smoking and monitor the temperature inside. I can go to town if I wanted to. I'd go to the liquor store if I wanted to and be like, oh, almost done. Let me How's crank my- that up. I'm getting a little hungry, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I love it. A buddy of mine just bought a pellet. Yeah, that's definitely. uh, A buddy of mine just pellet grill the other day and I was, um, he was telling me about it and I was, I was, I was definitely chewing on the idea of buying one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it is made, it is made cooking so easy for me because I might just throw something on it three or four o'clock even when i'm not even hungry and go off and do something else and 
than just kick the temperature up when I get a little hungry. You know, it might be on yeah. an hour, might be on two hours. I don't really care. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm hungry. So let me kick it up and finish it. Who doesn't like smoked meat? I know. So exactly. Well, anything else you have to, uh, that you want to chat about, Joel? I mean, it's been a pleasure. You really kind of enlightened us uh, to a lot of the good stuff that's going on that TRCP is doing. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's great to be on and to have the opportunity to talk with you guys on your, your podcast. And I always appreciate Seek Outside as a company. I mean, you not only make an awesome product, you're a good partner, and you guys are always on the right side of conservation issues. So um, yeah, we it's good to hear your voices and and hear, good to hear that business is doing well and I look forward to a, a time when we can get back together and have a beer. And do some keg stands? Yeah, just like the old days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can we go up to three in the morning and do keg stands? Yeah, that'll be fun. Like, um, that was the last time I did that and it was like a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> Callahan's a bad influence. I think it was him that started it. Mm, that's right. Um, so, Joel, just for everybody listening, where uh, where can they find out about TRCP? Um, get involved, throw their name in the hat, kind of thing. Keep keep track of these issues and and all stuff. Yeah, thanks, Dennis. So, I mean, first off, you can go to our website trcp.org. Um, you can sign up with us for free. We certainly, you know, I always appreciate um, financial support, but you don't have to in order to sign up with us. And we are, you know, in terms of being able to stay, you know, plugged into what's going on nationally on the big issues that are going to affect hunters and anglers, as well as a lot of local issues that are um, tied to things like public lands management. Um, we're a great resource that we really try and um, keep our, our members informed. And we're also really active on the social media platform. So you can check us out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, all those channels there, but uh, you know, we really, I think, serve an important niche of of really trying to make sure that the, the sporting public is is aware of of what sort of big policy decisions are coming and and could come that that affect fish and wildlife habitat and the traditions of hunting and fishing, and also help people get involved to make a difference. Awesome, man. Um, we'll, we'll put links to all those things too um, in the show for everybody so they can find them easily. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time, Joel. Nice, nice chat. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. you guys take care. You too.